yeah, I'm waiting for someone to, to call bullshit on all of that. But apparently it's all true. Mainly because my father was disgusted with it. And that made me so happy. I think you have to have a little bit of fear, a little bit of anxiety and have something that keeps it challenging. Otherwise, why bother? <laughs> Welcome to The Impostress. The Impostress is hosted by me, Michael Knox, and Graham Drew, two rather insecure frauds who will be exploring the motivating and debilitating experiences we all have with imposter syndrome, with a sneaky suspicion that it might just be your superpower if you let it. I think it's important to be a little bit scared or have a little bit of fear of what we're doing. I can be your regular therapist if you like. <laughs> Morning, Graham. Welcome back. Thank you. I haven't been anywhere. <laughs> um, who have we got today? Who are we talking to? I think it's going to be a good one, this one. We've got um, Fran Lucking today. She's um, a really strong female creative, runs South that. Africa and is super dry and funny. This is going to be a good one. Knox, hello. Oh, hello, Fran. How the hell are you? Good. How are you going? Fine, I sent you birthday messages on WhatsApp, but uh, you didn't even blue tick me. Oh, Devast- that probably went to a to a Chinese man who's quite confused because he's been getting a few of my messages. I sent you a very charming picture of a woman pulling a bottle of gin out of her bra. <laughs> it was very tasteful <laughs> and appropriate. I would have I loved that. Welcome, everyone. Today's Imposterous. We have the pleasure of speaking to Fran Luckin. Fran is kind of a friend, kind of, but she's also yes. the chief creative officer of Great Africa in Johannesburg. She's done many, many things, been doing it since the early 18th century, I believe. And so she knows everything there is to know about advertising. She's worked at Ogilvy for 10 years, became ECD there. She came Grey CCO in 2016, won all of the awards worth talking about. She's a member of the Grey Creative Board and also in 2017 was the first female jury president at the Cannes Lions. So from, was, from Africa, first female jury president from Africa. <laughs> important. important, yeah, because otherwise I'll get sued for claiming, yeah, no, no. <clears throat> and Caveat. the first woman on the moon, it says here. Oh, definitely that one. And she has an MBA from the Berlin School of Creative Leadership. How do you know when someone's got an MBA, Fran? They tell you. Yes, they do. <laughs> so Sorry. welcome, Fran. Welcome, Fran. And hello, Michael. You all right, mate? Hello, Graham. Welcome, Fran. Good to... Uh... See you, hear you. Yeah, you too. Imposterous is all around the, the weird and wonderful world of imposter syndrome. And um, to dig straight into it, if you think about what we do, we work in creative departments. They can be a really fun place. But with everyone competing and peacocking all around, they can also be a pretty intimidating place, especially the first time. So, Fran, when was the first time you kind of felt that you didn't belong there? How about at ad college, like before I even got a job, um, I had been, I'd studied English and speech and drama at university and ran into like, what the hell am I going to do for the rest of my life? So I went to ad college at a postgrad diploma in copywriting. And I have to tell you that I, the minute I walked into that classroom, I just thought, this is ridiculous. Um, My friend Alistair and I used to sit at the back of the class and make jokes about how we were never going to get employed. And if we did, we'd probably work in some place called Lipschitz, Rumble Bottom and Diddly Fingers. I, I was, I mean, I think copywriting, so I'm a copywriter, right? It was my lowest mark. Like I, I just, I didn't do well. And the class was, they were very gung-ho. I'd come out of varsity where, 
You slouch into lectures. You fall asleep while the lecturer drones. You don't ever put your hand up. And this lot like super keen, answering all the questions and turning in their assignments early. And I was like, oh, I'm just, I hadn't done very well at marrying rich. So I thought, oh, I'm really screwed now. So, I mean, I, right back at college, I didn't think I was ever going to get a job, though, to be honest. I really. So it, it goes right back to even before I entered the industry. <clears throat> So when you when you felt that, like when you felt that sting and Lipschitz returned your CV to you, how did how did you keep going? How did you get past it? Why did you go ask? I think I was really lucky because um, I got a, a job at a place called the Jupiter Drawing Room, which was a very small boutique agency and quite eccentric. So the guy who re- who started it, Graham Warsop, had been a barrister in the UK, come out to South Africa. Um, and he started an agency um, and he was very eccentric and it was a very, so I think, you know, I went for my interview. My book was terrible. I, I mean, I showed him my poetry. I want to die. I want, I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm like, you showed Graham Warsop your poetry. Anyway, and he had this office full of books and I couldn't resist. So he, I mean, it's probably incredibly rude, but I wandered around his office looking at his books I don't even know if he looked at my portfolio. We just talked about books. And I think he took a chance on me and gave me the job. And I think what happens next is because you work in a team, if you're having a bad day, you're feeling insecure, there's always somebody. I think the way that our business is structured is really great because you're never alone. You're you're always in a team and you've got somebody to bounce ideas off. And that's where your creative director comes in as well. I spend a lot of time in my creative director's office going, I really think this is awful. How do we make it better? And he helped me do that. So I think there's quite a lot in the structure of the way we do our business that that helps. Um, I was lucky to land in a very boutique, very eccentric agency to start with, where I got a lot of nurturing, a lot of mentoring. And then I think you start to, you know, you do an ad and people don't hate it. And your mum goes, oh, I really like that. And, you know, it starts to build your confidence a little bit. So was the friend was the environment intimidating or more kind of welcoming and wanting you to do well? Because you said you you'd ask the creative director, how can this be better? And I think that takes a lot of courage. Did you find that very, that was a, like an easy thing to do, an easy conversation to have? It was. There were it, it was because it was a small agency, it was sort of more like a family. And we, you know, we worked long hours, but mostly because we were just having such fun. We didn't, you know. It was a very special place. Like when my grandfather died, I spent like a long time sitting with one of my creative directors just talking about it. Like it was that kind of place where, where you could be. And, and two of the three creative directors, they were writers. So they loved nothing more than picking over words. And I mean, there's no, you never get over that feeling of anxiety when somebody's reading your copy and picking over it and circling it. But I mean, you always knew it was going to end up better. So I think that that just helped. So that that's an interesting thing, right? I mean, we we get yeah. we get paid to come up with ideas, and you know, yeah. ideas are one thing, but presenting them is quite another, right? And yeah. I, I, you could arguably say that's that's where imposter syndrome really rears its head mm-hmm. because you are literally in the spotlight, and we've all had stage yeah. fright. Did you ever get a piece Oof. of advice that helped you get past that, or maybe you've got a, a bit of a hairy tale to tell about? We you know when that happened. So my piece of advice is show the people a good time. So because I studied speech and drama, I I actually can fake confidence quite well. Um, And that's helped me enormously. Um, And it helped me also with presentation skills. 
um, with dialogue writing. But in a presentation, like the, the, the key insight, I think, is that and I, when I started going to some of our clients' offices and seeing how deathly they were, like one of them was literally in the flight path of, of our Tambo Airport, I think, like next to a belching smokestack. <clears throat> um, and you go, do you know what? This is probably the most fun thing that's going to happen to this person today. Like we're going to come and we're going to read scripts. But I'm going to do silly voices. So show them a good time. Do the silly voices do the accents, act out the scripts, sing if you have to. Uh, you, they may not like the work, but they won't hate you. And I, I don't know, maybe that just reveals my own insecurity, but that made me feel better. Uh, I did read somewhere, friend, that you wanted to be an actor. I did, I did, I did. And you've taken that to the presentation stage that you've created your own stage in boardrooms and that's helped you? I, I think I have taken that. I, I think it just helped a lot because you can kind of, the other trick is present every idea as though it's the greatest idea. You, you may have doubts about it, but just when you present it, just present it like you love it. Like you may have had your doubts about it. You may have had second thoughts on the way to the presentation, but just go with it. Um, I, I, when I worked at TBWA, Hunter Scaris, we once did a huge presentation to the entire board of MTN, which is a big telco. And he stuck pencils up his nose. I will never, I'll take this memory to my grave. We were presenting, and the whole the script was about people trying to make other people laugh, right? And it starts with a guy with two pencils up his nose. And John stood up to present, and this is John Hunt, owner of TBWA, Hunt Lascaris. He was global, he's still, you know, global CEO of, CCO of TBWA. And he, he stood with his back to the crowd, and it was the whole board and a whole lot of people. And he stuck these two pencils up his nose, and he turned around and he started presenting well, I wish I could say it went down incredibly well. Um, I think they didn't know what to think and they were terribly corporate, but I just loved him for that forever. And I think that's go present your heart out, show them a good time. Even if they reject the work, very often you'll find they've been entertained or amused or, and sometimes they just get charmed into buying it. Sometimes that, if you present sheepishly or like you're a bit embarrassed, I think you maybe give the impression that you don't believe in the work. Uh, that's one of the best bits of advice I, I was ever given because you can you can fall into that trap of sort of like being the humble thing of like oh maybe yeah, yeah. there's something and you you know you might like it that kind of sort of really yeah, sort yeah. of humble yeah. way and that's a way mm-hmm. it is but actually it's far better as you say to even if you don't think it's great pretend it is because if you don't believe yeah. it nobody will yeah and I think that's, that's hugely good advice and actually I've found it myself sometimes that it's a piece of work that I was kind of like meh but then you get yourself into the selling mode and then you kind of con yourself into thinking it's quite good. That's why there's those jitters, right? Or that nervousness that when you're asked the question of what's the agency recommendation and you've generally agreed what it is, you know, because they're going to ask that question. So we're going to say this. And when they look at you and say, will it work? And you're kind of like, I'm going to have to say, yeah, it's going to work. Yeah, I know. I know. Sometimes though, you read the room, don't you? And you go, I know we all decided that it was idea one, but actually everyone's loving idea three right now. So maybe let's just go with that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you run a, a big, big department there in South Africa, right? You, you go across a few offices and um, perhaps more than many other places, it's an extremely diverse kind of culture there. You know, you've got people from literally very, very different cultures and things like that. And you're all sort of smashed together together. And when yes, you think yes. that so much of imposter syndrome is about that sense of belonging, 
when you have such diversity, how do you kind of make them feel that they belong? How do you help people feel that actually they're not out of place and actually they do, they've earned the right to be there? We've never done that thing where only senior teams get TV briefs, for example. We we kind of throw everybody in um, and give them lots of nurturing. I, I remember we had a very young writer. She was sort of six months into the industry. I put her on the brief and I gave her a lot of handholding and a lot of help, but she actually cracked her first TV ad six months in. I mean, I think when I started in the industry, it took you a long time to get mm. a good brief. You know, you had to earn it. Now, and I think I think it's partly also just because of the pressures we're all under uh, right at the beginning. And I mean, I think in an ad agency, you know what it's like. Everyone's open plan, everyone's first name basis. There's none of that sort of, you know, corner office, Mr. This, Mrs. That, you know. So I think it's easier for people to feel um, included from the beginning. Did anyone ever give you a piece of advice on the, on that kind of thing? So you think think back to when you were kind of midweight and maybe maybe your first piece of tv or something like that and you weren't sure of yourself was there any specific advice that you were ever given or did you say something to yourself um sorted yourself out with regard to getting confident yeah you know it's such an interesting thing a friend of mine um nicole who worked at an agency called stick she once said and, and it was so true she had been asked a question about um, how do you respond to situations knowing you're a woman in the industry? I mean, you know, how do you deal with, you know, with, with, in situations where you may not feel confident? And she just said, you know what? It's indulgent. It gets to a point in leadership where it's actually just indulgent to give in to your feelings of um, your feelings of inadequacy because, and I, I, I thought that encapsulated it so well because you get to a point where you. Something's gone wrong. Someone's got to make a decision. You've got a young writer in your office who can't crack a line. Someone's got to do something, and that person is you. And if you sit there and indulge your feelings of fear and inadequacy, nothing's going to get done. So yeah. I, I really love that. She just put it into words so beautifully. There's no time for that. You've got to leave that behind. It's indulgent. Just make a decision. Act. Do something. So I thought those were great pieces of advice that I've always taken with me is that leave the leave the fear behind because there's no room for it there's no time for it actually somebody needs to do something and that's probably you because you're the leader in the situation so do it there's, that's probably the best thing you can do because yeah. sitting there the only thing worse than a bad decision is no decision to use it's, a cliche absolutely absolutely yeah. I've learned to rely on other people as well. So, like, I think the realization is you, you you don't have to be the guru who knows everything. And there was a very much a culture of whenever you made a TV ad and you had an edit or you did radio and you had an edit, you brought it back to the agency and you played it for people. Oh, and wow. people could, yeah. It was, I mean, it was excruciating because people, yeah. could, you know, yeah. But it was so good. It was so good. And, and. And it, it, it taught me that you don't have to know everything. You don't have to be the guru who makes all the calls. Yeah, and it's, and it's true about, I mean, creativity and ideas, they are your babies and you do feel incredibly sort of Ooh. precious about them. But actually, Ooh. they can only get better by showing them to people, right? They can only, and it, it, it is a skill to really learn. And as you say, we have our council where you kind of show off your kids and actually some of those kids are going to get shot down and but it's oh. for good reason it's for, and, it, yeah. and it hurts but actually 
you're blinded by your own stuff, right? And um, it can only get better by showing. People. On that subject, friend. <laughs> on that subject of shoots, and I, I guess it is like a, a different gallery to show, you know, the imposterous you or or not when you when you are asked to, you know, speak up or you want to give direction to an actor to a performance or say something to a director. How how did you or do you get around any kind of nervousness that might come with putting your hand up on set and saying, I think we could do this another way? I guess it was the fear of failure that actually made me talk up on shoots. Um, and, you know, back then it was very much that thing of you 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 speak to the your producer who speaks to the director's producer who speaks to the director. You know, there was that kind of protocol. Yeah. Um, and so it was a bit intimidating, but I think I was more afraid of, not getting the shots in the can than I was of not speaking up because I knew like no one wants bad and I didn't want to go back to the agency and play it for people and someone would go, did you get a shot of the dog drinking his strawberry daiquiri? And I'd go, <laughs> I feel like I had to grow into being assertive rather than just being aggressive. I, I once was in an edit where I had said, I would like to see, I would like to see this option. And it kind of got lost in the chat and everyone was talking and and they looked at the cut again and everyone got up and said, oh, well, that looks great. We love it. And the, everybody walked out except me and the editor. And everyone looked at me and said, what do you, what do you, what's, what's, what's wrong? I said, I asked to see that option and I'm going to sit here until I see it. I think that, uh, yeah, I think because I, I think my ambition outweighed my, um, my insecurity in a way. I, I was going to, I was going to speak up because I knew if I didn't, and we got a shit ad. It was going to be much worse for me than a momentary feeling of embarrassment on a set, you know? I think that You know, one of the things that I've feared most about this podcast, Fran, is that we're going to interview people who aren't actually imposters. That is my fear. Yeah. And every time I've yeah. kind of tried to get this question across about, you know, do you fit in, how do you fit in, you, you have an answer like that, which is just strength and confidence and you know what you want yeah. and you ask for what you want and you and you get what yeah. you want and you get to where you actually want to be. Do yeah. you fear, though, that you might be found out one day? And someone might say, hey, oh, sure. Brand. I mean, my, yeah, I mean, my thing is actually just that I think I, like most other people are better than me. So my, my, I think my version of imposter syndrome is that most other people are better than me. I, it's probably the same when you think about it. So when I feel threatened by somebody, when I feel like, wow, that person's really good and I feel insecure, I try and go, what is that person doing that you think you don't do well? You know, and, and then try and go, is that a lesson for me? Can I do that better? I think it's really good if you feel a little bit threatened by somebody who, who works with you, frankly, like or who's in your environment or in your in industry that you compete with, because then it's, you just never get complacent then. And, and you know what? I actually don't think it's possible to do our job well 100% of the time. Like I actually don't think anyone's good at the job of chief creative officer or ECD all the time. You're not equally good at all the things. There's too much to do. There's too much responsibility the burden is heavy and you're like, you're not going to be good at it all the time. There's going to be parts of it where you're only pulling 30%. Do you think imposter syndrome can be, is a good thing, can be a good thing? And, you know, is that maybe tell me why fear is not to be feared? Yeah, I mean, I think it stops you getting um, complacent. And actually, 
you know, in my case, my fear is that everyone else is better than me. And actually, that's probably true. There's probably a lot of people who are better than me. So can I look at those people and think about what they do well? And can I learn from that? And so that's the key. John Hunt, again, I've quoted John so much in this uh, interview, but he always said as well, he he looks for people who are driven by insecurity or, or have a little bit of insecurity because then you're always looking to get a bit better. Um, on that topic, I wanted to talk about it earlier. Susan Hoffman from Wyden and Kennedy, um, I, I interviewed her once for something I was writing, and she told me that the, the Nike chalkbot idea, which won all those awards, mm. it, the client actually recognized that idea. She said it was at the back of the deck. It was one of those brain fart ideas someone had had. And the client said, you know, I don't really love anything here, but that that machine with the chalk on. And so that was really interesting for me as well because, I mean, this is Susan Hoffman mm. from Wyden and Kennedy admitting, admitting that they failed to recognize a great idea and the client actually picked it out. And I think that's a lesson for all of us. It doesn't matter how great you are, you can miss something. Like that's the other thing. As a creative director, you're not supposed to be a guru. You're just the person who hasn't spent the last three weeks. And that's actually what we are. We're, we're fresh eyes. We don't yeah. have to know everything. We just have to walk in and go, oh, what about that? And they go, geez, we didn't think of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hey, Fran, this has been great yeah. talking to you and great to see you again. I just wondered if there was anything that, that you um, – you know, you just mentioned that Susan Hoffman story. If there was anything else on this subject that you wanted to talk about, I think I would encourage people to speak speak up more and, and feel comfortable in, in doing it. And I think the times in my life when I haven't handled uh, confrontation well um, have been when I felt and that self imposed was my own insecurity, you know. Um, I try in reviews to be quite kind of relaxed and fun and invite comment. I'm, I actually make a lot of silly comments myself in reviews. I, I use a lot of humor. You know, I'll make jokes. I know it's hard to believe. I know. Just go with me. <laughs> <clears throat> but I, I use a lot of humor. I try and create a, an environment in a review where I say silly things so that other people don't feel afraid to also make a comment or an observation because sometimes a supposedly silly comment isn't actually silly at all. There's a gem in it. Um, and so I think, I think, and I think that was the key in my that first job I had, where everybody was, you know, they were jokesters, they were funny guys, they loved humor and puns, and so you'd often reviews were just you'd sit around talking shit and tossing ideas around, and that that ones. relaxed atmosphere, yeah, that relaxed atmosphere made it very much easier to say something like, well, you know, why don't we give the peanut a hat? <laughs> I mean, why wouldn't you? What peanut isn't you? better with a hat? Come on. Oh, that's what I think, you know. Yeah. This, yeah. And Any a cane. Exactly. Cape. Mm. Yes. I think that's really good. Yeah, it's great. Steve, Fran. Thanks, Fran. You're the best. No, I'm only the second best. Okay, yeah, fair enough. You are. Um, but <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, and as we say on Imposterous, we have a quote, which is, you are loved, you are creative, and you belong. Fran? Don't let anyone tell you differently. Thank you so much. It was very cool. Thank you.
Thank you very much for listening to The Imposterous. Apart from our fine, imposterous guests, none of this would have been possible without the help of the following wonderful frauds. Firstly, Andrew Stevenson at We Love Jam Studios, best music and sound house in Australia. Without his help, this would have been a series of WhatsApp messages with emoji responses. And also Hilton Moday, who has graced us with his theme music that you're listening to now. If you would like to catch up on all the other podcasts in the Imposterous series, visit theimposterous.com. Here you can also get in touch with us via email.